Today's message is going to be 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to chapter 2, verse 3. But we're actually going to begin the reading at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Righto, well, the year 2020 is going to be remembered by our generation as a time of enormous uncertainty, as a time of change. And if you like to use big fancy words, you might say it was a time of paradigm shift. Now, um, that's just a fancy way of saying it's a change in the way that we do things or a change in the way we think or a change in our systems or processes. So, for instance, before COVID happened, who knew what the letters WFH stood for? No one? And no, it's not a rude thing. Does anyone know what it stands for now? No. Robin does. What about if a SAT catalogue came out and it was offering laptops and all this sort of thing? It says WFH sale. Working from home. Yeah. It's WFH. It's the thing. Don't you lot know? We're we're shielded from it out here a bit, aren't we? Okay. Or... You know, who's taken up Zoom when they've never done Zoom before? Yes, I'm getting a few nods here. And, um, and of course, we've had to take everything online. And, of course, it's a time when churches have had to go online. And in church circles, it really has been a topic of conversation. 
as, as I've talked to other pastors, the conversations inevitably go on to, you know, have you done things online and, and how are you doing it and what equipment are you using and what format is the service taking? And, and then many pastors realised, hey, we're actually getting more people tuning into our videos than what we had coming to church. And so some, for some it's been a real feeling of encouragement. But now the conversation's shifted a bit. As churches have started opening up again, it's, the conversation shifted. And as I talk to other pastors now, I'm hearing the same story over and over, and I understand this has happened pretty much across the board, that people aren't seeing the numbers returning to pre-COVID levels. You wouldn't believe that here today, um, but if I'd preached this last week, you would have believed me. Um, and there's several reasons for this. Um, for churches who have a limitation on space, well, they're not allowed to have everybody back in church yet. They're just too full. And so in some churches, they actually have to book, make a booking to come to church so that they know that they're not going to have too many. And they, they, some are running multiple services to try and get people through. For churches like ours, we've got oodles of space because we're only a small church in a big building. And, um, but even for us, particularly during winter, things had been a bit slower because, because the COVID rules are that if anyone has a sniffle, the whole family has to stay at home and you take one or two families out in a small church and all of a sudden we're half or a third of the size. Um, but another reason that I hear from pastors and ministers is people are enjoying the convenience of worshipping in their lounge rooms. Now, you don't even have to get out of your jammies on a Sunday morning. Who's going to confess up that during the lockdown they still did, they did church in their jammies? There's a few confessions coming out. Yep. Um, and you can sit in your own time, sit down with a cup of coffee, and you can watch the bits you like and fast forward over the bits you're not so keen on. Right? So if you're a singer, you might feel, oh, yeah, I'll sing along with the songs. Uh, if you're not a singer, you're not going to feel embarrassed to just sit there and say nothing. Um, if you don't like hearing music at all, you can go and make yourself a fresh cup of tea at that time. Or if it's pre-recorded, you can just fast forward it over it. And it's become the ultimate in consumer church. For goodness sake, if, if the local churches aren't doing it for me, I can watch one of the big mega churches and, and, and really get, get, a, get something I like. Or, or I can find a preacher who's going to make me feel good about myself. Or I'll find a preacher who's going to say everything that I agree with and never challenge me. But you know what? I suspect there's possibly even another reason why people are preferring to do church online. You see, it's when I do church online, there's no church that I'm going to have to deal with any potentially difficult relationships that might pop up within a face-to-face -face church. Now, for some people, such as those who are isolated by distance and for those who are isolated because of, of health or mobility reasons, um, and, and worshipping online is a pretty good option. And for us here at Bush Disciples, that's actually part of our aim, is to, to provide a means of people who are living 
way, way away from a church. You just can't get to, to a church every Sunday to provide a means for them to be able to receive a bit of Bible teaching or, and now to have a full service online. Um, now, for people like that and, and for people who, for health and mobility reasons, worshipping online is a good option. But for the rest of us, it's not God's plan for the church. Meeting together and maintaining fellowship together is an extremely important expression of our holiness and obedience to God. And if you stick with me, hopefully before the end of this message, I'll have explained that. It's about maintaining fellowship and building love within the church. So, in today's reading, Paul talks about having a sincere brotherly love, and then he commands us to love one another earnestly. This is a two-part theme. In the Greek, he's actually talking about two different types of love. The first one is Philadelphian, and you've probably heard of the city called Philadelphia, well, it actually comes from this word in the Greek, Philadelphian, which literally means brotherly love. Philio, meaning love, adelphos, meaning brother. And philio love is an affection that we feel for another person who we're close to, either a friend or a relative or someone like that. It's an affection that we feel for someone. But then Peter commands us to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And this is a different sort of love. This is agapeo love. It's the sort of love that God has for us. It's an act of the will. It's something which is less about an affectionate feeling that we might just happen to have, and it's more about a love that we can demonstrate. And in fact, usually in the New Testament, when we are commanded to love, it's this agapeo love that we're commanded to do. Because, you know, they're saying, oh, you can't make someone love you. Well, you can if you're God. You just command them. But it's a different sort of love. You can't command someone to be affectionate to you, but you can command someone to, to do this love, which is an act of the will. Righto, so what Peter's really bringing out here is that true believers aren't on their own. He's, he's writing to a people who he describes as being regenerated. That it's translated in our version this morning as born again. Right, so he's speaking to a people who have experienced an initial salvation. This is something that God does in us to regenerate us. We, we can't regenerate ourselves, can we? We can't born again ourselves. We are born again by the Spirit. And he ties this action that God does to the action that we should be taking that he's been describing in the previous paragraphs that we've been studying over the last few weeks. He refers to this as having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And in the context here, he's not talking about our initial salvation anymore. He's talking about the way that we live in holiness and the way that we live in obedience to God 
And of course, we do these things because we've been saved. And so what he's saying is as we live in obedience and holiness, this brotherly love between disciples of Jesus begins to happen. And that shouldn't be any great surprise to us. As we begin to live lives in tune with the Holy Spirit, of course, a natural, natural brotherly love should begin to develop between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ who are also living lives in tune with the Holy Spirit. Right? So if my life becomes more like Christ and if your life becomes more like Christ, then there's no surprise that we start to love each other, is there? It sort of actually becomes an expression of the, of the love that is felt between the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because if Christ is in you and if Christ is in me, the love that develops between us is the same as the love that is between the Father and the Son. But this now is the point that Peter then commands, but you've got to take it deeper. The way that, that, that we feel about each other isn't enough. It becomes an act of obedience and an act of the will. Increase your love. The Tyndale New Testament commentary, I, I like the way that they put it. And they said, once you've begun to grow in holiness so that you have a genuine affection for one another, make your love for each other earnest, deep and strong. How? Now, if you're someone who's pretty new to being a Christian, at this point, you may have only experienced the, the love and affection and brotherly love of Christians. But for most of us here today, we've been Christians for a number of years, and most of you are probably under no illusion that maintaining love with your brothers and sisters in Christ is it's not always an easy thing to do. And I'm not going to try and gloss over this. And I'm not going to try and give you a false image of, of, of what it's like in the church. Because all we have to do is read the letters of the New Testament and we very quickly realise that a large part of this New Testament was written to churches who were experiencing inner conflict and turmoil. And they had people in these churches who weren't getting on with each other. And for some of you, your experience of, of other Christians is you've come up against people who are controlling, vindictive, conniving, dishonest, hypocritical, gossips, liars, slanderers. Now, some of you are probably sitting there picturing certain people as I say these words. And so Peter is saying, make your love for each other earnest, deep, and strong. Now, when I think about the relationships and broken relationships, not only that I've experienced within the church, but, but that I've seen between other people in the church, I'm just filled with sadness that this has been the experience of many people. And so Peter's saying, make your love for each other more earnest, deep, and strong. 
How? That's what we want to know, isn't it? How can I do that, Michael? Well, the thing is, we're jumping the gun if we want to jump to the how. Because Peter doesn't start with the how, he starts with the why. And if we know why, then we'll make more effort into the how. So why is it more important that our love for each other does get more earnest, deep and strong? Well, once again, he points us to the eternal nature of salvation. This is, you're starting to see a bit of a theme here happening in 1 Peter. He seems to be always directing us to eternity and to things that are lasting and things that go on. We were born again, not with something that's corruptible, not by seed that is perishable and going to pass away, but by the imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. God's word remains. God's word is trustworthy. God's word is true. God's word will not pass away. In the beginning, it was by God's word that he created life, that he generated life. And now we have been regenerated. We have been born again, once again, through his living word. And you haven't been regenerated to be a Christian on your own. Just like I haven't been regenerated to be a Christian on my own. We have been regenerated to share life together and to share love together. That's the way we're supposed to be as a church. The fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, is something of eternal significance. Sadly, at this point in time, in this town, but not just in this town, it, it's happening right across Australia, I've become increasingly aware of more and more Christians, more than ever, who are now viewing Christian fellowship in the Church of Christ as an optional extra. And if it's an optional extra, well, it's probably an option that I'd rather not take you up on. Thank you very much. I'll just be, I'll just worship on my own. But Peter is saying, because God's word is eternal, that word by which we are saved, the love of Christian fellowship is also something which is to be deepened and strengthened. It's, it's not meant to be short-lived. Christian fellowship isn't something that we have a bit of a go of and then we give up on it if it doesn't work out. In verse 24, he quotes Isaiah chapter 40. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, when Isaiah said that, he was referring to the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah, uh, and th which was the judgment of God. But God had also spoken a word to Jerusalem and Judah about the, the restoration that he would bring. And this restoration, God's word of restoration, would endure. God had promised it, and so they could count on him that he was going to bring it about. And I think that the point that Peter's making here 
is that for us, the gospel is the enduring word of God of restoration. And therefore, the Christian church is meant to be an expression of this gospel and be a community of restoration. Right? So that's why, as a community of Christ, we've been enveloped into God's plan of eternity. So now we've got the why, we're probably ready for the how. How do we develop our love for one another so that our love for one another grows more earnest, deep and strong? Well, the strange thing is, he doesn't, he doesn't point the readers to, okay, we're going to conduct some, some fellowship exercises here. We're going to put on a party or anything like that. That's what we like to do as churches. We want to increase, increase our fellowship and our love for one another by putting on an event. Do you know what what Peter does? He takes us to the Word of God. Because this is where it begins, with the Word of God. In the Greek, it's the Rima Word of God. That's the spoken Word of God, and, and now the written Word of God. That's the Word that endures forever. That's the good news that was preached to them, and it's the good news that was preached to us. God has spoken through his prophets of old. God has spoken through his son. God has spoken through his apostles. And and, and where is these words of God? Where are they now? It's It's not a rhetorical question. Where do we find the word of God now? In the Bible. It's been recorded in the scriptures. And one thing I can tell you for sure, it's that when a church abandons pure biblical teaching and starts embracing all sorts of other beliefs and philosophies, when that happens, there is no longer a united owned truth. There is no longer a sure and firm truth that will develop unity and love within a church. And we'll come back to that more shortly. It begins with the Rema word, the spoken word, the written word of God. Sometimes it's rather unfortunate where the chapter and verse numbers get put in the Bible. And this is a case in point. See, when Peter was writing his letter, he didn't sort of get to there and go, right, well, that's the end of chapter one. I'll put a two here and continue on. And the problem is when we start, start studying God's word, we sort of look at it in blocks. Chapter one ends there, chapter two starts here. But the thing is, Peter's thought continues on through here. And I'm noticing this more and more in, in this letter that Peter wrote, more than any other book of the Bible that I've preached on ever before. I, I understand why they had trouble finding a good spot to put a chapter number in. Because I'm finding difficulty every week when I'm looking at preaching, okay? I'm going to preach on this piece, but the thing is it doesn't end there. This piece sort of goes with this piece. It sort of needs to be held together, but then this piece needs to go with this piece. It's just a continuing line of thought. But here there's no doubt about it that Peter's carrying on his train of thought here into chapter 2. And in the start of chapter 2, Peter lists 
five attitudes and actions that destroy fellowship within a church. And these are the sorts of things that God's, words conde God's word condemns, and yet they are rife within the church. And isn't it strange that, that there are certain sins that some churches or some people in churches are very quick to condemn these sins and very quick to make sure they get dealt with in the church, but then others get overlooked. Others, we actually embrace them because we're so filled with pride, we sort of think, oh, I have a right to feel this way, I have a right to act this way, and we do these things. And I want you to notice here, Peter is focusing on attitudes and actions that destroy fellowship in the church, and he says to put these things away. Now, that doesn't mean tuck them away somewhere and you'll bring them out for a special event. It doesn't mean just, just put them back in, the quiver, back in your quiver so that you can use these things when you need them. When he says put them away, he's saying get rid of it. There's no place for these sorts of things in the church. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Malice is the attitude, malice is the vice, it's the evil, it's the depravity in our hearts that then leads to the actions, those other four actions. Malice is the attitude that wants to see the other person come a cropper, right? I don't really particularly like you. This, we don't say this, it's just what's in our heart. I don't actually particularly like you and I want to see you come off second best. That's malice. And these other things flow out of it. So he says, put away all malice. How can our love for each other ever increase and grow if we secretly wish evil for our brother or sister in Christ? He says, get rid of all deceit. And when we get to chapter 2, sorry, verse 2, we're going to see that the deceit that he's talking about here is specifically, although not, not limited to, but, but he's going to be specifically talking about deceit, deceit with God's word, teaching wrong things. But all deceit is, there's no place for that in the church. Deceit is when we are trying to trick someone or try and lie someone or try and get the better of them deceive them. And among God's people, there's no room for deceit. Just like there's no room for hypocrisy. And we tend to think of hypocrisy as something that, oh, Michael's probably a hypocrite most weeks because he gets up and tells us not to do things and we know that he does that all the time. But it's not only that. Hypocrisy is when we wear a mask. It's where we give the image of, oh, I'm all very good and nice and holy, the inner person is thinking evil, plotting evil. The inner person is wanting to do the wrong thing. And when we're in private, we do the wrong thing. But, but when we're in church, we, we wear this mask that makes everyone think that we're godly sorts of people. Envy. Sometimes envy is wanting to have what somebody else has Sometimes envy can be wanting to be what another person is. Um, 
It could be being jealous of the position of another person in church or despising the authority of others that, that others have been granted because we're envious. Why does that person have any authority over me? And one of the most fellowship-destroying things is slander, telling untruths about people, or worse still, putting out half-truths, where we destroy someone's character with lies. How could we ever expect the love within a church to grow and flourish if we don't root this stuff out? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Why are these sometimes left to flourish within the church? I'll tell you why. It's because we aren't taking seriously the Word of God. The church of today, in many ways, has become a church who delight in teachers who will affirm them. We don't want somebody who's going to challenge our way of life. We don't want someone who's going to challenge our attitudes. We don't want anyone to challenge what's in our heart and our true motivations. We definitely don't want somebody to say, hey, there's malice here in this church. And that's probably exactly what we might need to be told at times. In some churches, you'll never hear the word sin mentioned. And the gospel that gets preached will be, come and be set free from all that ails you, rather than the gospel that's preached, come, repent and be forgiven. In other churches, the preaching won't be explaining the scriptures. It'll be more about philosophy, maybe a bit about good advice for living or personal development. And it might even be embracing the standards and the culture of the world. But then other churches, they might be very forceful in preaching against sin. The sin that those other people do, those wicked people. But at the same time, a blind eye gets turned to what might be considered more respectable sorts of people that, that sin. And a blind eye gets turned to gossip and slanderous. And the one who harbours malice. And those who destroy fellowship within a church. The enduring word of God is what we are to crave. Verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now the word pure there in the Greek, it is literally the opposite of deceit. Right, So the Greek word back in verse 1, which was translated as deceit, is dolon. Deceit. And the word for pure is adolon, meaning not dolon, not deceit. So just like a newborn baby craves its mother's milk, disciples of Jesus should be craving pure unadulterated, not deceitful, written and spoken word of God. 
And what Peter's saying is that's what makes us grow. Has that been your experience? It's been my experience. I look back to times in my life where I've really grown spiritually. I'm thinking back to times when I used to spend countless hours driving tractors. And my mother had these cassettes of this pommy preacher called David Pawson. And I just played them one after another. Some days I'd play 10 cassettes and um, just absorbed biblical teaching. I've grown when I've been part of a Bible study group. I've grown when I've been part of a church who have good biblical teaching and don't allow deceitful teaching into it. I've grown, but grown in love and maturity as I've been with other Christians who are doing the same. What about you? When have you grown most in God? I bet if you consider this, that you'll go, yep, it's when I've been really engaging with God's word, when I've been daily reading his word, when I've been part of a Bible study group, when I've been getting good biblical teaching, and when I've been hanging out with people who, who have also having this biblical teaching and we can, we can talk together and discuss it and grow together in the Lord. You show me a church who are hungry for the word of God. And not just for any old preaching and teaching. You show me a people who are hungry for the simple biblical truth to be taught in its entirety. Not a, not a deceitful gospel, not deceitful by leaving bits out, not deceitful by making bits up to suit our own hearts, not deceitful by taking a certain view on it to try and fit my theology. You show me a church who are just wanting the pure spiritual milk of the word of God, and I reckon you'll very quickly find a people who are poised to grow up into salvation. They've tasted the Lord. They've heard his word. They know that he's good. And they just crave for the pure spiritual milk. As a preacher whose main ministry is Bible teaching, I regularly encounter three different types of people. Some people crave to hear God's word and they just soak it up. And others, they'd rather a few good stories and a few funny jokes. Essentially, they want to be entertained. And others want to be affirmed. They have ideas that, that have been instilled into them by men or, or their own ideas and their own theology and they only want to hear the bits of God's word that might happen to affirm what they already believe. There have been times in my ministry um, where in my own congregation, people have, there's been people who have said to me, Michael, you spend way too much time on your messages and, and we're not getting anything out of them. You spend too much time on theology. I said, now you understand theology is the, the study of God. So you're saying I'm telling you too much about God. Yep, yep. We, we, want, we want to have some good advice for how we can bring our kids up. And we want, you know, we, we want to know how our marriages can be blessed. Spend some more time on that. And yet at the same time, 
people who I've never met and have got engaged with us online um, sometimes send us an email and I've, I've been really encouraged um, thanking me for the teaching God's word in its entirety. And some of you who are listening to this today have been those people who have, who have sent us an email and, and thanked us. And I just want to say that's been a great encouragement for us. But I want to encourage each one of us today. Get into the Word of God. Right? We talk, that, it's strange that the topic for today is about growing together in love and developing the love that we have between other Christians within our fellowship. And yet the way we do this is get into the Word of God. If you're not in a Bible study group, Get into a Bible study group. Make it a priority, not just something that you'll fit in if, if you just happen to be able to. And for those who are listening to this today, um, or, or if you're here, hopefully not, um, if you're in a church that's not teaching the pure word of God, you should be. If you're in a church that allows false teaching, get out. Why? Why? Because you can never have a strong and lasting and loving fellowship with people who believe different stuff to what you do. And if, lis and if listening to one of these recordings for you has become a replacement for fellowship, so once again I'm talking to people who aren't here today. If listening to one of these recordings or videos has become for you a replacement for fellowship, I want to be really blunt and say that's not good enough. By all means, use this Bible teaching to help you to grow, but you also need to be growing together with a fellowship of people who are growing up in salvation. We don't just get into the Word of God to increase our knowledge. Never think that. The Word of God is that spiritual milk that makes us grow. And when we grow, I'm meaning here when we're growing together and when we cast off malice and we cast off all those things that destroy fellowship, that's how we grow in love and we increase in love more and more for each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Rema word, your spoken word, your written word. Lord, we pray that by your spirit that we would crave the pure, unadulterated spiritual milk of your word that makes us grow. Not so that we would know more, but so that we would grow more and be changed and renewed. And Lord, we want to thank you for the brotherly love that we have experienced with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, help us to strengthen and deepen that love as we consume your word and grow. Lord, help us as a church and individually to actively discard malice deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Not just some of it. And not just tucking it away in case we think we might need to use it again, but getting rid of it completely, all of it. 
that in you and in your word that we would grow in love and fellowship in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.